I don't get to speak a whole lot, and so when I do, I really enjoy it. And uh, I was visiting with some folks before service, and someone asked me, they said, are you speaking tonight? And I said, well, yes, I am. What, how did you know? They said, well, they saw the microphone. And so it's a dead giveaway. And then they said, oh, I hope it's short and sweet. I said, I said, that's the title of my message, short and sweet. I said, but it's going to be long and sour, so you better get ready for it. <laughs> uh, no. It's good to, good to be able to speak, and, and Pastor called me, and, and he asked me, he said, would you mind speaking tonight? I said, I don't mind. He said, you have something? And um, I didn't lie to him, but I, I said yes, <laughs> because it was something I had in my mind. I just didn't have it on paper yet, so, so I was ready. And I told Robert last week, I said, Robert, you stole my message. I said, I was going to preach that message. I said, you did such a great job. I won't do it now for years. Uh, and he did do a great job. And I want to speak to you tonight about something. All of you are familiar with uh, a show on TV currently. It's called uh, The Biggest Loser. You guys watch that show? Well, the, the title of, of my message tonight is Don't Be the Biggest Loser. Okay? And I'll uh, build on that and I'll let you know uh, how we're going to help you to not be the biggest loser. Uh, the principal passage of scripture I want to use is found in Numbers chapter 14, and it's verse 31, but before we get there, I want to just kind of give you some background, and you're familiar somewhat with this story. It's a very familiar uh, passage of scripture about Israel uh, getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised them, and they are sitting there at the doorstep getting ready to go in, and... God tells Moses, he said, I want you to send in 12 spies into the land and have them check it out. This is the land that I'm going to give to to you. They go in and they all come back and they say, yeah, this is really is a great place. I mean, it's here's the fruit. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And then they began, there was 10 of them that started complaining and doing some stuff and saying things and spreading a bad report and... Um, Joshua and Caleb were the only two. They said, no, you know, we, we can do this. And the other said, no, we can't. And they said, yes, we can. No, we can't. We can't do this. Joshua and Caleb, yes, we can do it. And uh, they got all, the other ten got the whole congregation of Israel against Moses and the Lord and con- tried to convince them to uh, pick a leader out among them and go back to Egypt. And, and you know the story. And God's ready to strike them all there in the desert. And Moses pleads. He says, no, don't do that uh, because if you do, then all the lands, the people of the lands here will, will think, see, their God brought them in, but he wasn't able to, to sustain them here, and so he's killed them all. So God says, okay, I'll not kill them all, but those ten are not, they're, they are going to die. <laughs> and the rest of them, they're not going in. They're going to wander around for 40 years, and their children will inherit that land. And that takes me to my verse there in Numbers chapter 14, verse 31. As for your children, see, and one of the problems that they said was, he said, you know, if we go in there, there's giants there and everything, and they're going to, they're going to plunder our wives and our kids and, and everything. So he says this to him. He says, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you rejected. And, and I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school class, I was teaching in Hebrews and, and I came across the scripture that talked about 
you know, provoke, don't provoke the Lord as they did in the uh, provocation and, and don't, uh, uh, you know, harden your hearts as they did. And I, I was recounting this story to my, to my class, but I, I'd kind of forgotten about this verse 31. And as I read that verse 31, it just hit me. And I'm reading from the NIV, by the way, and they should be on the, on the screen if, if you can follow there. But it, it hit me when I read that verse 31. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into the land to, to enjoy the land you have rejected. And I thought to myself, I thought, how many times... Have I, in all messages that I give, always start with me. How many times have I rejected the blessings that God had for me? How many times have I unfortunately allowed someone else to receive the blessing that was intended for me because of my actions and my behaviors? So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, this land that that they... uh, uh, that they were going to go into represented God's promises and blessings to Israel. The land promised that was had been promised to Abraham over 400 years earlier, but Israel became the biggest loser at the doorstep of God's promise because of what they did. Now, why did they lose their blessing? It's very simple. It's there in verse 31 and it says it very clearly. Your children are going to, going to enjoy the land you have rejected. They thought they knew better than God. They thought God and his servant Moses uh, didn't know what they were doing. And they, they thought, well, we can, we can do better than what God's doing. And we can do better than this leader that God has chosen. And how many times have we become the biggest loser... Uh, and the, from the blessings that God intended for us, and these blessings go to someone else, or, or we lose them all together simply because we have unknowingly, perhaps by our actions, rejected the blessings that God intended for us. So how did they reject God's blessings, or the blessings of God? How did they do this? Well, there, there were a lot of things that they were doing, but I see seven ways in which Israel rejected the promise and the blessings of God, and they became the biggest losers of God's promise and God's provision. The first one is this, by making excuses. Turn over to Numbers chapter 13. Verses, I'm going to read uh, verse 27, 28, and 31. Verse 27 says, they gave Moses this account. These were when the, after they came back from over and spying out the land. And remember, that if you look back at verse 2 in, in chapter 13, it says, this is the land that I am giving them. All they have to do is go over there and possess it and take it. So this is the, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. That is the truth. Here is its fruit. But here's the problem. But, they start making excuses. But, the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Go down to verse 31. After Caleb tried to silence them, but in verse 31, but... The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those 
people, they are stronger than we are. And they went on and we'll talk about spreading the bad report and all that. This, they began to make excuses. Uh, well, God, you know, um, you said this, but in reality, here's the situation. It's like God doesn't know the situation. You know, he does know. You know, and uh, and it reminded me of a story that, that, that Jesus spoke of in, in uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24, uh, when he's telling the parable of the banquet. Luke 14, 16 through 24. And it says... I'm sorry, I'm in 16... But they, and I'm going to skip down. Uh, he says there was a certain man preparing a banquet. And verse 18 says, but they all alike began to make excuses. He sent the servant out. He said, have them come in. But all these people were making excuses why they couldn't come to the banquet. You know, bought a yoke, five yoke of ox and somebody was getting married and somebody bought a field. And uh, the servant came back. He said, you know, they won't come. They're making all these excuses why they can't come. And uh, he says, uh, what you've ordered... So he said, go out and tell the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant in verse 23, go out to the roads and the countries and the lanes. Make them come in so that my house will be full. Verse 24 says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Not one of those men who made excuses and said they couldn't come will get a taste of my banquet. Now, keep that scripture in mind. Go back to Numbers chapter 14 and look at verse 30. Not one of you will enter the land, I swore, with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua, son of Nun. Okay? There's a very interesting aspect here that we have to be careful on when, when we start making excuses... God has something for us, and yet we'll sit there and say, no, God, you know, God has healing for us. We say, no, God, I, I know that you have healing for me, but this is really kind of strange. This is really weird. This is really rare. I don't know that you can do this. Uh, God, I know that you want to make my marriage strong, but you just don't know my wife, you, you know. <laughs> and and we've got to remember, this is God. Do we either think He is the God of the universe, the Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, and He knows every part of our life and every aspect of our life? Of course He does. There's no reason for us to make excuses. But we may make excuses as to why God can't do something or why we, with God's help, can't do something. Be careful. Don't uh, be the biggest loser because... You are making excuses. What else did, did these uh, Israelites do? Well, uh, starting with the ten men, they uh, sp- spread a bad report. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, after they said that they can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report, or the King James says an evil report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. 
We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They thought, we, we just can't do it. So they, they, they distorted the truth. And they begin to, I mean, this, was it true that the descendants of Anak were there? Yes. But their problem was they spread this bad report and said, well, the, the land devours everybody that goes in there. This speaks to a negative attitude. Uh, boy, negativity is so, so difficult to overcome. And people get entrenched in it and they'll, they'll just absolutely kill themselves and kill every blessing of God because of their bad report, their, their negativity, what they say. Uh, I'll, I'll talk with people on occasion, uh, couples or individuals, uh, in a counseling mode, and they'll start telling me things. And, and I'll try to speak with them and help them, and they'll say, well, this is going this way and, and it's always like this and we can never do this and, and, and uh, she's always doing this and, and I can't, he, he comes home and he he's acts like this and he does, and I'm like, okay, those are true statements, but let me, let me tell you something. You're not speaking anything that's going to solve the problem. All you're doing is speaking death. And, and I told one guy one day, I said, I said, look, you are speaking death to your marriage when you continue to speak like that. We have to be careful about spreading a bad report. And it gets worse with the children of Israel because they become uh, seditious in, in what they're trying to do. Uh, they had a, this seditious spirit within them. And a sedition is a, is a willful attempt to... Now listen carefully. Sedition is a willful attempt to impose your own will or manipulate a situation to your advantage. They were trying to impose their will, not God's will, on the situation. They were trying to convince the people, we can't do this. I don't care what, what this Joshua and Caleb are saying, we can't do it. And they wanted, that was their will. They were afraid, which we'll get to that in, in just a minute too. But they had this seditious spirit. And we have to be careful because we will become the biggest losers if we have a seditious spirit. Uh, the second, uh, another thing that they were doing in spreading this bad report, besides having the negative attitude and the seditious spirit, they were turning the good upside down. They acknowledged it was good. We, we saw that in verse 27 where they said, it is good land. Uh, but they convinced themselves that they were right and God and Moses were wrong. They said, no, we're right here. We can't do this. Spreading a bad report. Another thing, a third thing that um, um, we have to be careful of that will cause us to be the biggest loser is living in the past. Numbers chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 says this, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken at plunder. Wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Catch that little phrase. Wouldn't it be better? God, wouldn't it be better, Lord, if 
you did this? Wouldn't it be better, Lord, if I didn't have to go through this trial and this difficulty? Wouldn't it be better if we could go back and do things over? Why are, my, my, my question is, why are we always questioning God? I don't think God minds us questioning Him, but at the same time, we have to be careful with, it, with, our, with our own thoughts that, that, that uh, we don't try to put God into our way of thinking. Um, God's ways, Isaiah uh, 55, 8 and 9, will t- tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts than our thoughts. Uh, what it, our, our responsibility is to trust Him. Our responsibility is to believe the Word and trust the Word and accept it uh, and quit living in the past. One person uh, said it this way. They said, The reason people find it so hard to be happy is that they always seem see the past better than it was, the present worse than it is, and the future less resolved than it will be. They, they can't be happy because they, they see the past is better than it really was. Remember the good old days, okay? <laughs> well, I remember the good old days, and Anita and I like to tell this story. When, I, when, when we couldn't go into TGNY and buy a plastic manger scene for 99 cents, <laughs> I put it in the cart, and she says, we don't have money for that. <laughs> Those aren't the good old days. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but Israel was having that problem. They were looking to the past. And they said, we, can, you know, we, we had a better need than we do here. We're going to die by the sword here. They, they looked at their past. They thought it was better than it was. The present was worse than it is. And the future was less resolved. They didn't know what the future was going to be, even though God's word told them. It said, I give, I'm giving you this land. This is your land. It's yours. The desire to return to the past, though, is, is unfortunately, it's rooted uh, deep in our hearts. Stephen, when he was speaking to the, uh, the Jewish leaders, he says this in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Once we make that decision that in our hearts we're going to turn back, uh, that's where it all starts. And then we'll, 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 we start looking back. Oh, we, sh- we, we could have done it this way. So we have to be careful of, of living in the past. Um, you know, what, when, if we looked at what God did for, for Israel to bring them to where they were in this Numbers chapter 13 and 14, He had delivered them from Egypt. He cared for them for, for the time that they were uh, in transit there. Uh, he showed them many signs and many wonders. And, and Israel saw this and, the, and they benefited from it, but the experience did not bring them any closer to God. It did not cause them to trust God anymore. In fact, just the opposite happened. Uh, the Bible tells us that their hearts were hardened against God. They put God to the test and God didn't fail them, but they failed God. And, and here's the issue. At the heart of the problem was a problem with the heart. Okay, at the, at the heart of the problem was a problem with the heart. They had a problem in their heart. Their heart wanted to go back. Their hearts turned back. And that's uh, then caused all these other things to come about. The people of Israel, uh, Hebrews chapter 
3 verse 10 says they erred in their hearts, which means that their hearts were had wandered from God and wandered from His Word. Uh, they also had an evil heart of unbelief, is what it tells us in Hebrews 3.12. And they didn't believe that God would give them the victory in Canaan that, that, that He had promised. But when a person has an, an erring heart and a disbelieving heart, the result will be a hard heart towards God. Jesus said this in Luke 9.62, that no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Okay, And Robert talked about this last week. You know, once we start on this journey, I don't care what the trial or what the tribulation is, we, we, we put our hand to the plow, we begin this journey, and we just, we just put one foot in front of the other and we, and we, we walk. And I use this analogy a lot. It's because I like it. I got it from my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather had a, a, a farm in Louisiana. It was 134 acres. And it was a cotton farm that he didn't farm it himself. He leased it out to a, to a man. And I'd go down there as a kid, and I would look down those cotton rows from his house to the trees at the other end down there, I mean, a quarter of a mile or half a mile. It was a long ways. And that row was just as straight as it could be. I'm like, how in the world did they do that? And so I asked him, I said, how do they do that? I call him Papa. And he said, well, he said, that they'll start out in the middle of the field and they, they pick a tree at the other end of the field and they, they, start their, they drop their plow and they head towards that tree and they don't ever take their eye off that tree. I'm telling you, don't take your eye off the cross. That'll keep you on a straight, narrow path to God. Okay, keep your eye on that cross. That's the tree that we need to watch, uh, and we, we get to looking around. So I, we, our rows go like this. I've done it mowing. Believe me. <laughs> the fourth uh, thing that that they did that caused them to be the biggest loser is they grumbled. Everybody say grumble, grumble, murmur. Complain, fight, argue, just in general, not have a good attitude. <laughs> uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 4 says, uh, and so they wanted to choose a leader and go back to Egypt because uh, they, they uh, thought that was best. Paul gives a warning to the Corinthians about Israel's uh, history of grumbling in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10 and verse 10. He says, And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Grumbling sets a tone of negativity that's very difficult to overcome. Um, it spreads, it's, it, and once it's started, it's difficult to stop. Uh, so the best attitude to have is to never grumble, especially against God. Uh, this I looked up the word murmur, and uh, the best uh, definition that I can get for it is that of going on and on and on and on and on and on. Just it's a dripping over and over. That's the murmuring and the complaining and the grumbling. Don't do it. Just simply put, don't do it. The, the fifth thing that they found themselves doing was that of, of rebellion and rebelling. Going against God. You know what? If God, 
if God is for you, who can be against you? Absolutely nobody. Again, He's God. He's for you. Don't rebel against that. Um, there, there's no reason for us to rebel against God, but, but it tells us that, that uh, when, when Caleb was trying to, uh, to silence them in uh, chapter 14, verse 9, he says, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid. Uh, that's the other thing. The, the sixth thing is, is fear. Is fear. Um, they were afraid their wives and children would be taken as plunder. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what. Fear does nothing but paralyze you. It, it just paralyzes you. You won't make a decision. You won't do anything if, you're, if you operate out of fear. Fear is the ap- absolute opposite of faith. There's, they, they have nothing in common. It was going to take faith for them to see that they could do this. Caleb was, and, and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones operating in faith. They said, no, we can do it. You know, if we don't rebel, if we're not afraid, we can do this. Uh, and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. You know how the other ten were saying, oh, the land devours everything that comes in there. Caleb says, no, we will devour them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Don't operate in fear. Operating in fear will uh, cause you to uh, be the biggest loser of God's blessings that he's intended for you. And the last one is, is by sinning. Um, by not acting in faith, they became the biggest losers. If you read chapter 14, verse 19, it says, uh, in a, in a court, this was after Moses made the appeal to God on, be, on behalf of the people. Uh, it says, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And verse 23 says, uh, uh, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me, this is the Lord speaking, with contempt will ever see it. Don't Sin is one of those things that if it's in our lives, it will keep us from receiving the blessings and the promises and the provisions of God. When we reject God's plan and blessings for our lives, we will receive everything that we speak. If we're talking negative, if we're living our lives negative, if we're spreading a bad report and all those things, those things are going to come back on us because here's what even the Lord said in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. He says, so tell, he's telling Moses, he said, you tell those people, so tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. What's the Lord hearing you say? Is He hearing you speak death to your marriage? Is He hearing you speak uh, death to friendships and relationships, to your job, to your, you know, complaining? Uh, believe me, I, I know how it is to complain on a job. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I went in and just read the when one time just read the riot act to. A bunch of guys, and, and I and found myself coming back the next day apologizing, <laughs> asking them to forgive me, and uh, uh, you know, so I, I know what that's it. But but be careful that you're not speaking those things. Uh, I love this is pastor's favorite scripture. I think death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. 
be careful what you say. Too often people are like the children of Israel and they want everything to come to them without any effort on their part. Canaan was a land that flowed with milk and honey, but it had to be taken. It wasn't going... There were battles in Canaan. They had to, to possess that, that land. Uh, it, was, it had to be possessed. There were battles that had to be fought. And for us, it's not all going to be peaches and cream or milk and honey. <laughs> okay? Sometimes it's going to be a little bit difficult, and that gets on to what Robert spoke about last week. We're going to go through some trials and tribulations and difficulties and temptations and, and, and hardships. It's just a part of living life. But we put that step one foot instead of the other and, and continue to walk. On the other hand, we can receive God's greatest blessings we don't, and we don't have to be the biggest loser. And that's what I have 10 minutes or 15 to talk about. Um, we don't have to be like the children of Israel who wandered for 40 years in the desert and never enjoyed the blessings of the land that was rich in resources and flowed with milk and honey that God had intended. It was a land and a possession that God intended for them to have, but because of their attitude and their sinful behavior, they never received it. Their children received the blessing that was intended for them. So how not to be the biggest loser when it comes to God's blessings? (laughs) Uh, We don't want to be the biggest loser. The first thing you have to do is you have to have a different spirit. Uh, I, the, I love where, when the Lord affirms Caleb in chapter 14 and verse 24, right after he said that these people, he said, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath. He says in, in verse 24, but my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb had a different spirit. What does the different spirit look like? Well, for one thing, it's it's very simple. It looks like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. Do, Do those sound familiar? That different spirit looks like the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And, and it, it is a spirit that sees things as God sees them. You know, sometimes I have to ask myself, why do, why do I doubt God? What, what is it in our human nature that causes us to say, God, you can't do that. That's too big. That's too, it's too great. I mean, there's no way that you can do that. But he can, because we have to see things as see things as God sees them. Accept God's word and His promise. God said it. I, you know, there used to be a bumper sticker said, "God said it, I believe it." That settles it. Well, that's not quite true. God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Okay, you know, I mean, you can believe it if you want. And that's great. But if God said it, that settles it. That's it. That's, um, in reality, it doesn't matter if you believe it. God said it, and that's, that's all that required, that's required. We need our spiritual eyes opened as Elisha's servant did when he opened his eyes in the mountain. He saw the, horse, the, the, the mountain full of horses and, and chariots full of fire all around Elisha when he was facing the battle. Uh, we need to see things as God sees them. This different spirit also is confident in God and not in yourself. Paul said that he could do all things 
But it was only through Christ who gave him the strength that he could do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, John, First John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. We can have confidence in God and not in ourselves. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I tell people all the time that, that I'm kind of an independent person. I'm a low-maintenance person. I don't, I don't need a lot of uh, attention on it. Like I had surgery recently, and pastor came to the hospital, and I appreciated that. It's very nice. I, I wasn't expected. He could have not, and I wouldn't have thought anything different from him. Uh, because someone told me recently that some pastors, they've heard, they don't uh, do hospital visitation. I think that's just a shame, but that's another story. Uh, so I, I tend to lean towards the type of person who is uh, self-confident. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but it, the, the problem with that is sometimes I, I will rely too much on myself and not enough on God. And I, I think if I want to really, really receive the blessings that God intends, I need to be confident in God and not in myself. Uh, also be obedient uh, in numbers chapter fourteen again verse nine he says don 't rebel but uh, do what and don 't be afraid of the people, but we need to not be obedient not be a re- or not be disobedient, not be a rebel. Uh, disobedience will cause us to become the biggest loser when it comes to the promises and blessings of God another Thing that we need to do is we need to be fearless. With great risk comes great reward. With little risk comes little reward. There are times when God tells us to do something and we have to be fearless. I would say that, um, that it was a natural feeling of fear when they saw, oh, these are big guys, you know, these are big cities. I don't know how we're going to do this. But there again, I don't know how we are going to do this. It's God that was going to do it. And uh, Kevin asked me coming to, to church tonight. He said, Dad, he said, are, are you afraid? Or he said, are, he said, are you afraid? I said, uh, no, uh, speaking. And, and he said, not just a little bit. I said, I said, yeah, I said, I'm a little nervous. So, but it's good to be a little nervous because a little bit of nerves will keep you on your toes and, and keep you a little bit sharper. Uh, but we have to be fearless when it comes to, to uh, the things of God. We have to be Peter who will step out of the boat and onto the water. I mean, how crazy is that? How, how crazy is it that, that the Lord says, come on out here, step out there? Who would do that? I, I mean, seriously. Peter obviously would do it. Would you do it? Would you be fearless and just say, okay, here goes, <laughs> and step off? There's a scripture that, that I think is it's a difficult one to understand, and you can turn over to Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It's, this is 
Jesus speaking. And in the King James, it's even more difficult to, to grasp the meaning because of the translation of the words. And Anita and I were, were talking about this the other night. And it says this in, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. King James uses the word violent men. Uh, The NIV translates forceful. Fearless men are laying hold of the blessings of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is going forward. Are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to lay hold of it? Are we going to be forceful? Are we going to press in when things get tough? Are we going to be fearless? God's kingdom is advancing. Let's move with Him and press forward and to receive the blessings and the promises and the provisions that God has in store for us. The final thing that we can do to not be the biggest loser is to follow God wholeheartedly. If you want to receive all that God has for you, like Joshua and Caleb, we must follow and love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is your passion. The things of the Lord are what sustain you. You live for God. You live and breathe God and godly things. Jesus Christ is your very life. You desire God and His ways more than anything else. That's what it means to love the Lord wholeheartedly, follow Him wholeheartedly. God becomes your ways. God, His, God's ways become your ways, His thoughts, your thoughts. You know, it's one thing to lose out on the promises and blessings and rewards that God intended for you to have in this life. But the biggest loser is the one who rejects God's plan for eternal life. They've made a fatal mistake. Don't allow the blessings of God that are intended for you to be enjoyed by someone else simply because you rejected God's promise. What about you tonight? Have you been rejecting the promise and the provision of salvation that God wants you to enjoy? I believe that tonight is your night to reclaim the promises of God and become uh, what God wants you to be and not be the biggest loser and lose out on his blessings. Would you stand?